Well, a game that my family and I like to play occasionally, it's a, a game of imagination. It's something that we like to do occasionally. It's called, Would You Rather? Would you rather do this or would you rather do that? And it gives you two alternatives and you have to pick one. You can't wiggle your way out of it. Some of them are silly and some of them are more in-depth, make you think a little bit, cause you to have some introspection. A silly one, one of my favorite silly ones is, would you rather have fingers the length of your legs or legs the length of your fingers? Which one would you rather have? I, I kind of like the, the fingers, the lengths of the legs. You might could gallop really fast or something like that. But the gift of opposable thumbs is really good. I don't know. I think I would miss that too much. Would you rather have the super abilities of invisibility or would you rather have superhuman strength? Uh, would you rather, if you, if you could choose to do one or the other, would you rather go back in time for one day or go to the future at some point, just for one day? Well, speaking of, of time, would you rather have 10 years of quality life added to your life, 10 years of quality living, or would you rather have $10,000? That's pretty easy, right? 10000 bucks. What if we made it $100,000? 10 years of quality life for $100,000. You're still saying, yeah, that's not going to budge the needle for me. 10 years of quality life or a million dollars. $10 million. Now, you're still probably going to choose the quality life, but you also might be trying to do the math in your head. <laughs> what could I do with $10 million? How would that make my life better? And the reason... One thing we should see from that is just how valuable time is. How valuable our lives are in this world. And the, the time that we have, we recognize its value. And the reason it's valuable is that it seems so limited. It seems so short. We're bound by it. We are limited by time. There's never enough time, right? You're stressed out about it. You're frustrated because you wish you could have a little bit more time each day. Give me, you know, five more hours each day. Then I would have time to do everything I needed to. Well, what we will consider from our sermon today is that God is not affected by time in this way at all. He's not limited by it. He's not contained by it. He's not stressed out about it. God is above and beyond the limitations of this time, and therefore, we should find our ultimate hope and joy in the one who is outside of all of this, in the one who is above it all. Now, last week, we considered God's aseity, and that refers to the fact that God is sufficient in himself, that he needs nobody else. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need anything in this created world. He is sufficient in himself. Now, thankfully, by His grace, he has, he has given us the gift of Himself. He has promised to be with us and to enter into relationship with us. For these first three sermons of January of this year, we wanted to focus in on the attributes of God. And we've been considering uh, what are called the incommunicable attributes of God. That is, those things which are true of God, which are not true of us. Those things that God is that we are not. The, the complete otherness of God. He is entirely, qualitatively different 
than anything else in all creation. So in these sermons, what I want us to do, I want, I want our view of God to be expanded. If enough time alone, we all tend to have a very limited and small view of God. We think of him more like ourselves. We almost create God in our image, thinking he is, he's like us. Well, I want us to expand our understanding of the greatness and the majesty of God, because he is that big and much bigger than you could ever imagine. He is worthy of our worship. So this morning we are going to consider God's eternality. What does it mean that God is eternal? And then God's omnipresence. These are, these are two different attributes we might consider, but also they are closely related. God's eternality means that there never was a time when God wasn't. He always has been. He's always existed and he always will. He is without beginning and he's without end. Even more than that, God is not constrained by the limits of time. In other words, time is not a thing by which, in which, God is contained or bound. A long time ago in the Athanasian Creed, it, is, it was uh, said and confessed that the Father is uncreated, the Son is uncreated, the Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father is immeasurable, the Son is immeasurable, the Holy Spirit is immeasurable. The Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, the Holy Spirit is eternal. This is the God that we worship. We could look at several places throughout Scripture where God is said to be eternal or immortal. In 1 Timothy 1.17, God is described as the king of ages, immortal, invisible, and the only God. We'll turn in your Bible also to Psalm chapter 90, or Psalm 90, and we'll look at verses 1 through 4. Briefly, as we consider the eternality of God. Psalm 90, 1 through 4. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Notice this prayer of Moses. The dwelling place or refuge of his people in all generations has been God. Before creation... Before the mounds were formed, before anything that we see in all the universe, from everlasting to everlasting, He is God. His existence stretches not only into the future for eternity, but as far back in eternity as you could imagine. In verse 4, a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Now, it doesn't mean that a thousand days is literally one day with God, that He's speaking poetically speaking figuratively god isn't affected by the passage of time in the same way that we are see there in all these things there is a difference between god and everything else between god and his creation those things which aren't eternal consider the things which aren't eternal i've already mentioned several times the universe as far out as scientists can observe as far out as they can look the universe, as far out as it expands, it is not eternal. There was a definite point in time when it began. And there will be a definite time when it ends. It is temporary. 
humanity. We know our own limitations. We know that we are frail and mortal. We know that we are mortal in and of ourselves. Marriage. Marriage will not last forever. Jesus says in the new heavens and the new earth, there will neither be marriage nor giving in marriage, but we will be like the angels. Angels aren't eternal. There was a different point in time when they were created. The devil himself, the enemy of God, is not eternal. He is a lesser being than God. Much lesser, qualitatively different. Sometimes we can tend to think of God and the devil as kind of equal and opposite. They are just waging this war against one another. No, the devil is a created being. He is frail. He is not eternal. As long as we've considered the eternality of God, people have considered the eternality of God, Maybe a child might ask, well, what was God doing before he created the universe? What was he doing before he created all things? Well, Augustine, many, many years ago, St. Augustine was familiar with one answer that was given to this. He was busy creating hell for those who pry into such mysteries. (laughs) But he says he wouldn't answer that way, even though he he maybe felt like it. Rather, he goes on to answer, it's really an irrational question. It's not even logical to think about it in that sort of way. Time came into being when God created the world. Therefore, there was no time in which God could be doing anything. He is outside of the bounds of time. And if you go on thinking about it too much, you're going to wrap your mind in knots trying to figure it out. He is really outside of our comprehension when we speak about God being outside of time. So one way to consider it would be the difference between what is called eternity and sempiternity. Now, sempiternity would refer to uh, being everlasting within the bounds of time. So you got on one side the timeline uh, in the past, the other side, you got this point on the future existing forever within this timeline. Sympaternity. God is not like that. He is he's outside the parentheses. He's outside the timeline. He is not bound by time. You can see how this is outside of our comprehension. We don't know anything of our experience being outside of time. What would that be to exist without time? We have no concept of it. As the theologian Louis Burkhoff says, our existence is marked off by days and weeks and months and years. Not so the existence of God. Our life is divided into a past, present, and future. But there is no such division in the life of God. He is the eternal I am. The one who exists in and of himself. So we think about all of this and then you might be wondering, okay, is this something helpful I can use in trivia? You know, what's, what's the so what behind this? What, does this really matter to our understanding of God and of ourselves? Well, first, it should, it should cause us to consider our own limitations. It, could, it should cause us to consider our own, what we could call finitude, that we are finite, that we are temporary, that we are limited, that we are mortal. We are bound to time, and that should give us a great humility. In our culture, we prize youth. We, we want to be young. We want to be young and healthy and active. 
Well, in prior cultures, they probably had it better when they valued the aged, those who were older with wisdom. And the young would come to the older men and women and learn from them and and sit down before them in humility and listen to what the older generations had to say. Well, if, if if we think that is a good thing, how much more humble ought we to be before this everlasting, eternal God, submitting to Him, coming to Him before His Word and saying, give me all you've got. I need it. Feed me with your wisdom, with your knowledge. How often do we come to the Scripture in that way? Or do we we go through it just like a mere ritual? I'm reading my Bible today. I'm doing my my daily prayer and, and daily reading. In humility, come before the King of Ages and learn from Him. Receive His Word. Receive wisdom from Him. We ought to consider that. We also ought to consider... Our, the, the, the brevity of our lives, the shortness of our lives. You who are young, you're 10 years old, you're 12 years old, you're 20 years old, you think you have an eternity to live. You're not thinking about 20 years into the future. You've got all the time in the world, and yet you don't realize just how short life is. It is so short. The Scripture t- says that we humans, we are a puff of smoke. It's our life. We're grass that grows up, and then the sun burns it up, and it's gone. It's no time. Your parents tell you this. You don't believe them. You're not believing me right now, but it is so short. As a result, the psalmist, Psalm 90, Moses, says this in verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days, to consider this brevity of life. How we're using our lives. So not only should this bring us to humility, it should cause us to yearn for wisdom in understanding the shortness of our days. And this will cause us to think about the priorities of our lives first of all. What are we spending this short life on? What are we giving attention to? What are we spending our energies on, our time on? Everything that we have, what are our priorities in life? But then also it should cause us to consider the pace of our lives. It should neither move us to laziness nor frenzied activity. We need wisdom to know how to understand to use this short life that we've been given. We should consider our own limitations, but then we should consider, once again, God's majesty, His infinity his eternality his greatness and majesty that he's like nothing else in all of the world and he is worthy of our worship unique one-of-a-kind things deserve to be worshiped to be praised you do this when you invite somebody into your home and you want to show them this one-of-a-kind thing that you have maybe this one-of-a-kind man cave that you have with your big screen tv and your leather chairs you want you want to show them something that is unique something's one of a kind well how how much different is god than anything else in all of the universe and we spend our times worshiping nothings we send our spend our time worshiping created things and this yearning after created things yearning after money or popularity yearning after pleasures which will be here one day and are gone the next Worship the one, true, eternal God. 
He's worthy. There's nothing else like him in all of the world. So why would you settle for something less? God is eternal and it, it moves us to consider our own limitations and the greatness of God. Related to his eternality is his omnipresence. God's omnipresence means that he is present everywhere. Not physically, right? Because he's not a physical being. He doesn't have a body. He is spirit. He doesn't occupy a place as such. He isn't spatial. But it means that God is present everywhere. There's no place where God is not. Our scripture reading this morning was from Psalm 139. Turn there in your Bibles. The psalmist here is meditating on the transcendence and greatness of God. It's blowing his mind how amazing God is. Notice in verses 1 through 6, he is speaking of the omniscience of God. God knows all things. You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and acquainted with all my ways. Before a word is even on my tongue, you know it all together. It results, this this meditation results in verse 6 in his admission that this is just too amazing and grand for him to even comprehend. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And then in verses 7 through 12, he meditates upon the presence of God. And in 13 through 16, he meditates on his special creation of the psalmist himself. But take a few notes from verses 7 through 10. He asks, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? And the anticipated answer is nowhere. There's nowhere he can go away from God's Spirit. There's nowhere he could flee to get away from God's presence. Not heaven. Not hell. Not the uttermost parts of the sea. Not the darkness. Nowhere. God is present everywhere. Now again, we should understand this. Well, it's... Hard to comprehend, isn't it? We, we don't understand this in spatial terms. It's not as if you took a glass of water and you, you dropped a, a small drop of dye in. The dye would spread throughout and fill every part of the water, right? Well, God is not physical, and so it's not that the, the universe expands and expands and expands, and as far as it expands, God, His being kind of expands with it like air or like a gas or something like that. No, God is above and beyond these spatial ideas. God is above and beyond, outside the limits of space, just as he is outside the limits of time. So uh, uh, questions might come in your minds, similar to the idea about his eternity. Where was God before he created the world? Well, he wasn't anywhere because there was no there to be. He existed in and of himself, and yet there wasn't a space kind of just hovering, waiting for him to create a bigger space in which he could dwell. Again, 
we should respond the same way the psalmist responds. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot obtain it. It is too much for me to understand and comprehend and consider. Well, another question, I think a more important question, is this. If God is present everywhere, how do we make sense of God promising to be with us? We see these promises throughout Scripture that God will be with His people. Well, He's already present everywhere, so He's already with His people, right? What, What do we make of these promises? And there we would make a distinction between what we could call God's presence of essence, who He is, and His presence of covenant or relationship. God is present everywhere in His being, and yet relationally He has separated Himself. There has become a separation between His creation and who he is. If you remember Adam and Eve in the garden. They walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day. They had an intimate, close relationship with God. He was present with them because of his being. He's present everywhere. But also relationally, he was present with them. He was together with them in fellowship and relationship. And yet they sinned rebelled against God. And although their rebellion meant that God is still in His being, present everywhere, in His relationship with them, it was now fractured. It was broken. Like if you've been in a relationship and it's been strained or broken, you could be in the same room with that person and it feels like they're a million miles away because the relationship is broken. There's been a separation, even if they're physically present with one another. And the Scriptures, as we walk through the Scriptures, we see time and time again humans trying to get back to God. How can we, how can we mend this broken relationship? How can we fix this broken relationship? Well, we'll, we'll try to earn it back somehow. We'll try to make up for the wrong that we've done. We'll try to, to fix it ourselves. Throughout the Old Testament, we see a recurring theme of the law. Israel seeking to keep the law of God. That they might make good. That they might make themselves right with the God that they had offended. And yet, time and time again, we see also their failure. We see that they cannot bridge the the gap of separation between humanity and between God. With all of your efforts... You've tried throughout your lives. Nothing has brought you closer to God in and of yourself. No amount of sorrow, no amount of good works, no amount of trying to make up for it. And ultimately, what the Scripture says we deserve because of this sin and rebellion against this eternal God, the King of all ages, what we deserve is hell. Punishment from God, which is not uh, separation from God In his being, he's still present there, but in wrath, in anger. That's the ultimate separation from God. And it's what we each one of us deserves because of our sin. Well, the truth of the gospel is that 
this eternal God, this, this God who's outside the bounds of time, this omnipresent God, this God who is outside the bounds of space, has entered into time and space in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This eternal, omnipresent God has entered into time and space to do that which, for which we could not do for ourselves. To bridge the gap that had happened because of sin. To bring us back to God. In the beginning was the Word. Not just the beginning of creation. In the beginning. Outside of space and time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal God coming down to us in mercy. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Considering God's eternality and His omnipresence gives us, hopefully, a fresh understanding of Philippians 2 and the humility of Jesus Christ. This one who, the son who did not see it as a thing to be grasped on equality with God, he humbled himself. This one who had eternity, this one who had omniscience, humbled himself in laying down his life for sinners, for those who rebelled against him. And now God calls on people everywhere to repent of their sins, to turn away from that rebellion in heart and mind, to change their mind about sin and come to him in faith, recognizing his grace to you, recognizing he and he alone has done everything that is required for you to be brought back into close relationship with him to be present with him. We'll consider a few more implications for this om omnipresence of God. First of all, we should consider that this means God is always present with us. Because of God's omnipresence, God is always present with you. Um, theologians throughout history, some have called this the living Coram Deo. Living before God or living in the presence of God. There's a book that was written years ago called Practicing the Presence of God. And it's the idea of living always with an awareness, always an understanding that God is present. Living under His authority, living under His sovereignty, living for His glory alone. R.C. Sproul said it this way, to live in the presence of God is to understand that whatever we are doing and wherever we are doing it, we are acting under the gaze of God. God is omnipresent. There is no place so remote that we can escape His penetrating gaze. Now, is that a comfort to you? Or is it a fearful thing for you? In and of ourselves, that is a very fearful thing because we know ourselves better than any other human in this world. He's always present with you. It means you cannot hide your sin from God. 
You can hide it from maybe everyone else in the whole world, but you cannot hide it from God. Not only your deeds, but also your inward thoughts, something nobody else can see. Nobody else needs to know about God is present and he sees. Yeah, that's a fearful thing, isn't it? Another theologian takes all of this into consideration and says, well, where can you flee from his presence? Where can you get away from this gaze that sees everything, that everything is laid bare before him? And he says, well, don't flee from him, flee to him. That's your only hope. You can't get away from him. You cannot get beyond his gaze. Flee to him instead. As I just spoke about, through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, bow your knee before him and say, yes, you are everything I need. You are my hope and joy. If I'm going to have salvation, it will only be by your grace because of what Jesus has done on the cross for sinners. Come to him and then, then you will be able to live Coram Day without fear because the relationship has changed then God not only becomes always present with you, he becomes always present for you. That means for you in a positive sense. Because God is not limited by time and space, he can meet us in all of our times and spaces. Wherever we are, whatever we're facing, whatever challenge we are going through, we are reminded Once again, I believe I used this passage last week. Because we're considering the transcendence of God, we we may fear that He will forget about us or that we are too distant from Him. And yet we are reminded of Romans chapter 8 where Paul reminds his people in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, for us positively in love and in peace for us, who can be against us? The answer is either nobody is against us or nobody that matters is against us because we have the eternal, omnipresent God who is with us and for us. He says in verse 38, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us. I do have separation from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So friends, what are you facing today? Is there some grief that you are wrestling through? Is there some guilt that you are facing? Some sin that you are struggling against? some sorrow, some worry, some fear. In Christ Jesus, God is with you and he is for you and there is no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together.